Take your Bible. Let's go to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Uh, just want to look at one verse here, the last verse. There's a lot, uh, I believe, packed into this one verse that really is a prayer of the psalmist. And uh, not a bad prayer for us to pray each morning as we rise to face a new day. Uh, this prayer, I think, could help us. Uh, in our walk with the Lord, and certainly in our influence to others. Psalm 19, verse 14, the psalmist prays, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The words that we use are a great indicator of what is in our heart. Now, nobody can see our heart other than God. As we meet each other, as we talk with each other, uh, we can't look into a person's heart. But God can. You remember when Samuel was sent down to anoint the next king over Israel, he goes to Jesse's house and Jesse brings out his firstborn, Eliab. And Eliab is tall and he's handsome and he's, he's uh, got all the characteristics of the firstborn and uh, perhaps a leader look to him. And Samuel thought, well, this is he. Uh, let's anoint him. And God says, no, no, this isn't he. Uh, look not on the, height of his count, uh, on the height of his stature. Look not on his countenance. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. And from that, we understand that God looks past sometimes what we try to portray as who we really are, and God sees our heart. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So God can see our heart. But as we interact with people, whether it's at work, whether it's in our family, whether it's in our church, our words that we speak reveal the condition of our heart. And I believe that's why the psalmist kind of ties these two together in this verse. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. In other words, there's a link there, isn't there? Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart speaketh forth good things. But an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart Speaketh forth evil things, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So, when we open our mouth, when we speak, we really do reveal what's on the inside. Now, what do your words reveal about you? What do my words reveal about me? Would our words reveal anger? Would they reveal worry? Would they reveal covetousness? Would they reveal jealousy? Or lust? Or perhaps envy? Or revenge? Or on the other hand, would our words reveal faith? Or grace? Or love? Or long-suffering? Or patience? Our words reveal what's in our heart. Now sometimes we like to think that something just kind of slipped out of our mouth. You ever said, oh, I let that slip. I shouldn't have let that slip. 
I, 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 that kind of slipped out of my mouth. I, I, I wasn't thinking about it. And, and maybe we say something in frustration or we say something in anger or, or we might say something almost flippantly and unconcerned. But really, what slips out of our mouth has been making a home in our heart. And we've got to be careful to make sure that our heart is right so that our words can reveal the testimony that God desires for us to have. So, let's look at three considerations when it comes to our words, and perhaps more importantly, when it comes to our heart. First of all, let's think about the genesis of our words. The genesis of our words. A person has to learn how to talk, right? We, we, we teach our children to talk. When your children are, are little babies, dad holds the little baby and, and, and goes, dad, 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 you know, and tries to get the child to, to mimic dad, dad. And dad goes to work and mom picks up the baby and goes, mama, mama. And there's sort of a competition, isn't there, between dad and mom to see which word they'll say first. Uh, I, I, I heard about all that. I, I watched all that growing up, and I thought, that's, that's not going to be my, my, my tactic. I, I remember when John was born, my firstborn, I picked him up, and I, and I took a football, and I said, John, ball, ball, ball. And my wife will attest to this. The first word out of my son's mouth was ball. Boy, I mean, uh, I was successful. But, but we have to teach a child how to talk. Now, I don't know if this is a fact. I, I think it is, but I, I, I can't prove that I don't have any statistical data to, to say that what I'm about to say is actually true. But I don't think we've ever said a word that we didn't first hear. Now, it could be true. Now, now, children make sounds, even when they're babies. They make sounds, and sometimes parents say, oh, he just said. <laughs> but he really didn't. He was just, you know, making a sound, right? It sounded like maybe a word. But, but the truth is, I don't know that we've ever said anything that we didn't first hear. If you, if you take a, a foreign language, if you study a foreign language, it's almost impossible to learn a foreign language out of a textbook. You need somebody to be able to pronounce those words, right? Even the, the uh, online type courses you can take today, Rosetta Stone or Babel, I mean, they're, they're heavy on uh, someone saying the word correctly to you. And then you say it back. And if you say it incorrectly, they go, no, 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 no. It's this. And they'll say it again. And, and you have to repeat it over and over again until you get it to mimic exactly what they just said. That's how we learn language. That's why a missionary that goes to a field is probably further ahead if they go to the field where they're going to serve and learn that language there because they're hearing people say it. They're not just studying it. They're not just trying to figure it out from a book, but they're hearing it in conversation. So we, we speak what we first hear. Now, now that causes us then to back up a little bit and say, well, what am I listening to? Because whatever is going to come out of my mouth is something that I've already heard. You see, our words have their genesis in what we hear. So are we, what are we listening to? 
What are, what are we attentive to in, in the music that we have on or, or the, the uh, social media that we expose ourselves to or, or even the conversation of, of those around us? When, uh, when our son John was a little kid, probably four or five, we were uh, preaching a, revi- uh, a teen week of camp in, in Wisconsin. And uh, John was the kind of kid that whenever something was going on, he wanted to be there. I mean, if it was a church service, he wanted to be there. If it was a meal, he wanted to go. If it was an activity, he wanted to be there. He just wanted to take in everything that was going on. Well, as parents, you can't be at everything. You know, you can't go to everything that's going on. And, uh, but, but at camp... It's a pretty safe environment. You've got counselors all over and staff. And, and so when John wanted to go someplace, we'd sometimes let him go. And, and we didn't necessarily go with him. Well, one afternoon, uh, he, he, there was this activity down at the ball field. He had heard about it at lunch. And boy, he, he thought that was going to be a great activity. He wanted to go watch that. Well, my wife wanted to get our, our, our daughter down for a nap. She was about three years younger than him, and, and uh, she, she knew she needed a nap, and I had some studying to do for the service that night. And so I said, John, tell you what, you go down there, uh, you know where it is, down on the ball field, and, and you go watch that activity, you just enjoy it. Stay out of the way, stay close to the sidelines, stay by the, stay by the adults, and, and, and you watch, you enjoy it. And, and when it's over, I want you to come back. Come back to the trailer and let us know that you're okay. So as soon as it's over, I'm going to expect you to come back. He said, okay, okay. And he ran off. And uh, he watched that activity. And about an hour later, he came bursting into our trailer. He was hot. He was bright red. It was a hot summer day. And uh, he burst into that trailer and he said, Mom, Mom, I need a drink. I need a drink. He was thirsty. And my wife was in the back of the trailer kind of patting our daughter on the back, trying to get her to go to sleep. And I was studying at the, at the table in the front of the trailer. And, and uh, she said, uh, I'll be just a minute, son. And John said, shut up, Mom. Wow. I mean, it was like time stood still. <laughs> I mean, it, it was one of those moments where it's just like, what just happened? Because we had never used that phrase in our home. We might have said, stop talking. (laughs) We might have said, let's be quiet now. But we never said, shut up. We never said that. And and when he said that, I mean, my wife, she kind of stood upright. And I'm sitting there writing and I stop. A pen fell out of my hand and I'm looking at John. Our dog, we had a miniature schnauzer at that time. His name was Scotty. And, and Scotty was sleeping up on the, uh, on the top of the fifth wheel part of the trailer. And, and whenever one of my kids was in trouble, that dog knew it. And, and, and as soon as John said that, that dog jumped off that top part of the fifth wheel, came, and he always would sit right at my feet. He, he would sit right there, and his little paws out in front of him, and he'd look up at me, and he would just shake. He would just start shaking. And, and, and you could see it in his eyes. He was saying, I'm being good. I'm being good. Please don't hit me. You know, <laughs> He was the perfect illustration of cast out the scorner and the simple shall be made wise. But anyway, uh, the dog came running. Everything just stopped. And I said, John, where did you hear that? Now, my three boys, they were all the same in this way. If I raised my voice, they would break. 
I mean, they, they knew if I raised my voice, I didn't have to do anything. If I just raised my voice in a certain tone, they knew that, that, it, that they, better, they better buckle in here, right? My daughter, that was a different story. She, uh, she didn't do that. She, she's probably the most tender-hearted now. But when she was a little girl, she had a pretty ironclad will. But, but my boys, when I would speak in a certain tone, boy, they, they would just break. And, and when I said, John, where did you hear that? He just started crying. And, and he pointed out the door and he said, big kids, big kids. Well, he had been down on that ball field. And he heard some teenager say, shut up. And it apparently worked. <laughs> and so he thought, I'll try that on mom. Right? He was saying what he had previously heard. Our words have their genesis in what we hear. But our words have their genesis in what we harbor. It's almost impossible to live in this world in 2023 without hearing something that we shouldn't hear. Right? I mean... You can't watch Fox News without hearing God's name taken in vain, without hearing cursing. You certainly can't watch a ball game without, without hearing. Now, there's nothing wrong with watching the news, nothing wrong with watching a ball game, but, but there's going to be language that obviously we wouldn't normally use or we would know that God would frown upon as something sinful, and yet we're in a world that, I mean, it's in your face constantly. You're seeing things that are written. You're hearing things that are spoken. So we're, we're in, a, in a culture today that's constantly bombarding us with language or things that we ought not to listen to. But what do we do with that? In other words, we, we hear it, then do we harbor it? Have you ever said something and then, and then you kind of apologize by saying, oh, I, I spoke without thinking? You know, that really isn't true. You thought too much. See, what came out of your mouth was what's in here. And the truth is, you, you heard it somewhere, but instead of pushing that away, instead of confessing that and asking God to help you, at that moment, you, you, you took it in. You embraced it. You harbored it. You thought about it. You thought about that negativity. You thought about that which was sinful. And now it kind of slipped out. We speak that which we hear. We speak that which we harbor. I think this is why the psalmist is asking God to have control not only over his words, but over his thoughts. Why? Because these thoughts that we harbor come out in our words. This is why Paul emphasizes in Philippians 4 and verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things, right? He's talking about what we think about. And sadly, we, we hear things today, we, we, we see things today, and we bring those into our heart and we, we harbor them. We all know the verse in Psalm 139, verse 23. We, we have a song about it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Right? We sing that. We know that's true in the Bible. Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
And that's where we stop. But the verse doesn't stop there. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Have you ever confessed a thought as sin? Have you ever asked God to forgive your thoughts? Now, it's probably kind of obvious that we have to ask God to forgive our actions. If you, if you said something unkind to your wife or your husband today and God convicted you, you'd, you'd, you'd go to your spouse and say, Hey, I, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I, I didn't mean that. I said it without thinking or whatever. And you would try to make that right. If you, if you uh, stole something at work, God might convict you about that. I hope he would. And you'd go back and you'd try to make that right. You'd go to your boss. You'd go to whoever's in charge. You'd say, hey, I took something I shouldn't have taken. I want to, I want to make it right. In other words, we think about the actions in our life that would be wrong. And we understand that in order to have a clear conscience, in order to be free from that, we've got to confess it. We've got to make it right. But have you ever confessed your thoughts? Proverbs 24 says the thought of foolishness is sin. So if a thought can be sinful, well, sin needs to be confessed. Whether it's an action or whether it's a, a thought. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. For we'll have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. It, it's important that we repent of wrong actions, but it's important. If a person is going to have victory, they, they, can't just, they, they can't just stop doing things. They have to stop thinking things. Because as he thinketh, so is he. In other words, what we think about is what we're going to do. So, so God says we've got to repent of our thoughts. We've got to turn from those wrong thoughts. In Acts 8.22, repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. This is why God's word is so important in our life. This is why it's so necessary that every morning we take God's word and we open it. Why? Because the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. See, it's the Word of God that, 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 that drills down on those thoughts that are not right, those thoughts that are improper. Because the Bible and God knows that, that those thoughts become words. Those thoughts become actions of our life and reveal who we are. What we hear, what we harbor, is the genesis of our words. But notice not only the genesis of our words, but notice the greatness of our words. Now, Job in chapter 6 and verse 25 says, How forcible are right words. And certainly from that phrase, we would understand how forcible are wrong words, right? I mean, words are powerful. Words have a greatness to them. Words can, can affect people in amazing ways. Think about the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. 
uh, God's word is, is powerful as the rain cometh down, the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither. We're not going to walk out here and see raindrops going back up to the sky. It waters the earth, it maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and prosper in the thing whereto I send it. God's word has amazing power. By the way, the devil's words have great power. Think of his first words on this planet. Hath God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden? Wow, the power of that question. The power of those words as Satan in the Garden of Eden spoke to Eve. Hath God said? And through that little question, doubt filled Eve's heart. And suddenly mankind through Adam plunged into sin. Because of words. The greatness of words. Our words have great power. In fact, Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so, words can harm. Our words can do great damage. It says in James chapter 3, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on, course, uh, setteth on fire the course of nature and, set, and is set on fire of hell. The power of words. A word can discourage. A, a, a word can damage. A word can divide. A, a, a word can, can demean. A word can destroy. You think about friendships that have been destroyed by words. Marriages have been destroyed by words. Churches have been divided by words. Nations fall because of words. But think about the cause of Christ and, and the power of words in the cause of Christ. See, words can, can harm, but words can also heal. How forcible are right words. How, how good it is. Uh, when, when the right word at the right time is given, a word fitly spoken, right? A word at that right time, just fit right in at the right time. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Words, the power to, to, to heal. A, 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 a word spoken in due season, how good is it? Well, I tell you, when someone has a good word for you, it can, it can change your day, can't it? On the other hand, a negative word can change your day. It just can, can put you into a depressed, kind of discouraged, despondent mood. One word. And so words have power to, 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 to harm, but words have power to heal. It's through God's words that we communicate the gospel. It, it is through edifying words that we build up others. It, it is through encouraging words that we help those who are weary. It, it is through corrective words that we, uh, we, we can change the heart of those that are foolish. The average man, the average male, says 10,000 words a day. 10,000 words a day. The average female says 25,000 words a day. 
Now, I'm just giving you facts. I have no axe to grind here. I, uh, uh, but the average male, according to statistics, says 10,000 words a day. The average female says 25,000 words a day. And I know what all the ladies are thinking. Well, that's because you guys never listen. We have to tell you twice. I, I get it, right? But I think we'd all agree that women tend to speak more than men. Now, that's not true of every single uh, family or a couple or whatever, but most women tend to kind of talk things out a little bit more than men. Men have a tendency to keep things in and kind of, kind of deal with it themselves, you know, a little bit, because we're the man. We're supposed to be able to handle it. Whereas women, we would say, maybe wear their emotions a little more on their sleeve, you know, we would say. So, so women, 25,000 words a day. Men, 10,000 words a day. You know, I got to thinking about that one day. On our campus there at West Coast Baptist College, we have about 500 students. Okay. Now, we have a lot of staff on our campus. There are about 300 staff members. We have a Christian school, about 450. We have people coming and going on campus. So, in the course of any given minute on that campus, there may be 1,000 people. But if you just took the college students who basically live on the campus, they're there 24 hours a day, they, they, they might go off campus for this or that, but, but primarily that's their home, that's where they're going to school, many of them work on the campus, so, so, so they're there a good portion of that 24 hours. So I got to thinking about that, if you had 500 students, and our students are pretty equally divided between male and female, we have almost every semester the same amount of guys we do girls, which is a good thing. But... I got to thinking about it, and I thought, okay, if the average male says 10,000 words a day, and the average female says 25,000 words a day, and we have 500 kids on our campus, just in the dorms, in the dining hall, in the classrooms, that means that there are 8.5 million words spoken on this campus every day just by our college students. 8.5 million. And I got to thinking about that. I wonder how many of them help and how many of those words harm. Now, you could do the math in your family. You could do the math in this church. You could do the math at work. A lot of words. It's how we communicate. That, that's, that's how we get things done. That's how we... We exist, we, we, have to, we have to talk, we have to communicate. And we do that through our words, whether written or verbal or whatever, we communicate through words. But boy, we should ask ourselves, Lord, help my words to help, to heal, to be a blessing, rather than to harm or discourage or devastate somebody else's life. The greatness of our words but then I want you to think finally this morning, not only the genesis of our words and the greatness of our words, but think about the gravity of our words. Sound, which is the vehicle that carries our words, sound travels in, in sound waves. Um, if you took a rock and you threw it into a pond, it would hit the water and, and these ripples would go out toward the shore. Okay? That's kind of a picture, they tell us, of how sound is. If you, when you make a sound, like if I said, hey, 
Okay? You hear that very briefly, and then it's gone. Because the sound travels in these wavelengths, and it doesn't take long for the sound to get out of our range. If I, if I raise my voice, if I said that word louder, if I said, Hey! It lasted a little bit longer because of the volume, perhaps because of the hard surfaces that might even reflect it. If you, if you go to St. George and you go to one of those canyons and you yell, Hey! You, you might hear it for quite a while. It's going to rebound off the canyon wall or whatever. Right? So, so we, we understand that. And, and, and what scientists tell us is that every sound that's ever been made is still out there. And we can't hear it because it's traveled out of our range. But it's still traveling. That's amazing, isn't it? Recently in the news, I saw an article where they, they found this place out in space. And by sight, it looks like this big black kind of hole but there's all these sounds coming from it. And they're undiscernible. They can't, they can't tell what's generating these sounds. It's all just this conglomeration of, of sounds. I'm wondering if that's where God's storing all the sound. I don't know. But think about the life of our words. When we speak a word, it, it's there and it's gone. But is it? Have you ever said to somebody, I remember when you said. You ever say that? I have. I remember when you said. See, the word, when, when, you, when you spoke it, you just started its journey. It lives on. What did they say about Abel? He being dead, yet speaketh. My, my dad died in 2001. So, my dad's been gone a long time. But I can still hear him in my mind, right? I, I can still hear some things he said. His words live on in my life, right? I mean, you, you, you don't forget the words of a teacher. You don't forget the words of maybe a coach or somebody that had some positive influence in your life. On the other hand, uh, uh, you don't forget that soul winning call where some guy curses you out and slams the door either. Right? I mean, you, you remember that. Somebody that got angry at you. Somebody that spoke, uh, you know, in a, some, some vile way toward you. You, you remember that. Our words, uh, they, they have a life to them. We, we can say something, good or bad, and not think about what we said. But, but we just started the journey. Think, think about how many sermons your pastor has preached that still minister to you. All of a sudden in life, you come upon something and you say, oh man, I... Boy, I remember what Pastor said. Right? And it comes back to you. Maybe, maybe the, the, the verse that he used to prove that point, God brings it back to you, and it's a great help. It's a great encouragement to you. Uh, uh, sometimes we, we get convicted about sin. Why? Because we, we can hear mom or dad saying, don't ever lie, or don't ever steal, or, you know, th th their words come back to us. Have you, ever, have you ever heard somebody say, a little birdie told me? You know, they find out about something. You say, how did you hear about that? Oh, little birdie told me. That's sort of a dumb saying, isn't it? Little birdie told me. Little birds flying around telling, telling all the gossip. Well, guess where that came from? It came from that book. Ecclesiastes 9. Or chapter 10, I'm sorry, verse 20. Curse not the king. No, not in thy, thy thought. 
Curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry thy voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. See, that little phrase comes right out of the Bible. And what I believe God is saying is, hey, I've got a record of your words. I've got a record of your speech. And if I need to, the birds can talk. The rocks can talk. The trees can talk. The, hall, the rooms of your house can talk. You know, God has His witnesses. When we say a word, we're merely beginning that journey uh, in the life of those words. I, this past year, a little over a year now, uh, I, I've lost some pretty close friends in my life. Some of my best friends have passed on into eternity. You get a certain age and that happens, right? And, and, and you just uh, you, you, you think about them, you think about the impact of their life on your own. And, and uh, one of my friends that passed away this past year is Dr. Jerry Goddard. And uh, some of you might know Dr. Goddard. He, he, um, I met him uh, first in Florida many, many years ago when he was teaching there at Pensacola Christian College. And, and uh, I felt like from the first day I met him that I, I had a friend, you know, just, just one of those people that, that you could tell was interested in, in you. And, and, and we just formed a friendship. And uh, he uh, was from California originally, and so came back out here and, and uh, eventually uh, taught at West Coast Baptist College for a number of years. And uh, certainly as a colleague, he was a tremendous, tremendous blessing to me as a friend. And uh, we spent uh, a lot of good conversations together. I never went to his house. He never came to my house. We, 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 we didn't go out to eat together. We didn't, we didn't play golf together. But, but just in the, in the natural course of serving God together, we became very close. And Dr. Goddard was a very... Uh, kind of a sober-minded sort of a person when he taught. Uh, students often didn't know kind of how to take him. He had a, a dr very dry sense of humor and uh, rarely kind of showed much emotion. Uh, but he really was a, a unique uh, a person in many ways. Most people didn't know it, but he was a sports enthusiast. He loved the L.A. Dodgers. I mean, he followed the Dodgers and just loved the Dodgers. And if you wanted to talk to him about the Dodgers, he would, he would stop anything he was doing to talk about the Dodgers. He loved the Florida State Seminoles. I mean, in football season, it was all about the Seminoles. He just, he loved that football team. And so there was a sports side of him that most people didn't know. But, but because of my, my love for sports and his for sports, we would often have conversations about, you know, on Monday morning we'd talk about who won, who lost, and all that kind of thing. And just enjoyed it. Dr. Goddard was a diabetic, and so I'd often catch him in the restroom shooting up with insulin, and I'd give him a hard time about his needles, make sure he'd put them away. And, and uh, you know, he was a man that had a lot of things internally and uh, within his character and, and composition was very unique and just became a tremendous friend. Dr. Goddard, uh, when COVID hit, uh, Dr. Goddard was told by his doctors not to go out of his house. He had Parkinson's disease, he had had cancer, he was diabetic, he had all these things that if he got COVID, it would take his life. I mean, the doctor said, if, if you get that, it's, it's not going to be good. And so the doctors recommended that he completely confine himself to his house, which he did for almost three years. Never left his house. He continued to teach for us online. He continued to be a part of our administrative team. We, we, we talked often, but I didn't see him. 
for nearly three years. And uh, they watched the services live stream and all that kind of thing. And uh, he never got COVID, which was a blessing. One day I got word that Dr. Goddard had been taken to the hospital. He'd had some pain and he just wasn't able to bear it. And he, he said to his wife, I, I have got to go to the hospital. And so they called an ambulance. They took him. And I got word that he had been taken to the hospital. And I, that, that evening, I thought, I'm, I'm going to go to the hospital. Now, at that time, in Lancaster, you couldn't get into the hospital unless you were vaccinated. And, and even then, it was not a good chance that you could get in to see anybody because they were being very careful, of course. And so I thought, you know, I, I, I don't know why I'm even going over, but, but I'm going I'm to at least make an attempt. I'm going to feel better if I at least made an attempt to see him. And so I went to the emergency, and I've never had this happen in my life, uh, and maybe never will again, but I, I walked up to the emergency door, and it, it opened automatically, and a security guard, a rather large fellow, stepped out, and he met me, kind of got in my path, and he said, how can I help you? And I said, I, I really would like to see Jerry Goddard. That's all I said. He said, follow me. And he walked me through the doors, past the, the security, past everything. And walked me all the way back into where Dr. Goddard in the emergency room, the ER, was being kept behind some curtains. I didn't have him in a room yet. And again, it was almost like Peter being let out of prison, you know. I mean, it was just kind of like, how did I get here? You know, here he is. And, and the fellow took me back there, and then he left. And on my way out, I never saw him. So I don't, I don't know what his role was, but his role that, that particular moment was to get me back there to Dr. Goddard. And Dr. Goddard was sleeping. <clears throat> and I thought, well, I don't want to wake him, you know, uh, this is good that he's resting because I'd heard that he had been in a lot of pain. And I thought, if he's resting, that's a good sign that they've got this under control. And so I, I thought, I'll just pray for him. And I, I, I put my hand on his shoulder just, just lightly there. And as soon as I did, his eyes opened. And he saw me and we had a, about a five-minute conversation. I've never shared that conversation with anybody. I've never shared one word of that conversation with anybody, including my wife. And I wouldn't be afraid to share it with her, but I've just, I've kept that. Because the next day he went to be with the Lord. And there were some things said just, just between a friend, a colleague, a Christian brother, that I will take through the rest of my life and be thankful for. Those words that he spoke to me are a great encouragement to me. I can hear them. I, I, I can hear them as he said them. And they were a great encouragement to me. And, and they, will, they will continue to be an encouragement. Why? Because Dr. Goddard, in those last moments of his life, sent some words on a journey to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm dedicated to not let that journey stop. I want those words to continue to minister to me in my life. But then think about the last word. There's a life to our words, but think about the last word. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. We'll be done. But look at Matthew chapter 12. I want you to see the words of Jesus concerning our words. And, and the, this is a powerful uh, sentence in Matthew chapter 12. 
And in verse 36, he says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. God will have the last word on our past words. Now, as we said earlier, if, if, if something comes out of our mouth that we ought not to have said, we need to ask God to forgive us. And I'm thankful that sins can be forgiven and forgotten and hid as far as the east is from the west. We, we have that, that, that wonderful assurance that God forgives sin. But, but God is keeping track of our words. And one day, by our words, he says, we'll be justified. By our words, we shall be condemned. Are we ready to face God with our words? Are there words that we've spoken to, to people we even love that one day we're going to be ashamed of? That we're going to have to give an account for? Make sure if words come out of our mouth and, and all of us have had that happen, where a word came out that shouldn't have come out because something had gone in that shouldn't have gone in. And at that moment, we've got to get that right. We've got to make that right. Because every person around us that hears us speak is going to be affected one way or another by our words. I hope something I've said today impacts you in a positive way. I hope nothing I've said today impacts you in a negative way. It's amazing to me, Pastor, how sometimes you preach a whole sermon and people remember one, one thing you said and you're like, you remember that? Like, that wasn't the main point. That wasn't what I was even trying to say. But it's amazing how our words have impact. And I would hope that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, would be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength, my Redeemer. And I found out something, and this is no secret to you, I'm sure. But when our words are acceptable in His sight, we usually do pretty well with the people around us that are listening. Right? In other words, if our words are pleasing Him, we don't have to worry about our words with our family, our church family, those at work, and so on. They're going to be right. And so every day, what a great prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer.